Hello, and welcome to the New Matters Podcast, everyone. My name is Mike Tarselli, and I'm the Scientific Director for SLAS. With me today is our 2020 SLAS Graduate Education Fellowship winner, Yuri Lee. Hi, Yuri. Hi, Mike. My name is Yuri Lee. I'm a third-year graduate student in the lab of Ashley Taburge at the University of Washington. And I am currently working on building bioanalytical tools to better understand the environment and how it relates to human health. And what I'm really interested in right now is how patient-specific triggers for asthma are affecting health. Because for asthma patients or people with other lung conditions, their triggers vary from person to person. And with currently what's going on in the world with airborne viruses, um, that's another type of bioaerosol that we're interested in looking at. Currently, we're looking at fungal spores, such as Aspergillus fumigatus, which is a very prolific fungus. And it's not harmful to most people, but to those with asthma, it can be harmful. I suppose it's worth saying, just in case someone listens to this five years in the future, that the airborne virus we just spoke about was SARS-CoV-2019, aka the coronavirus. But I do appreciate that you have detection methods for spores, bacteria, etc. Can you describe a little bit more about how the technology that you are in researching works and what it is you hope to do with it? Yeah, so the device itself, it's about the size of a coffee cup, and it uses mist to draw airborne particles into a box, essentially. And then those airborne particles, whether it be uh, pollutants or right now we're looking at spores, get captured by the mist that's generated, and then the mist coalesces, and then we can analyze that bulk liquid using various analytical tools. Talk to me about the bulk mist coalescing. That's something that sounds good, but it's a little bit tough to visualize. How do you get a mist to all move into one chamber for detection? Yeah, so there are different airflow patterns within the system where we created specific geometries to guide that airflow. So as the mist droplets hit each other or other surfaces, then they will coalesce into the bulk fluid. Gotcha. And then what's the analytics on the other side? What technologies are you using to take apart these spores or look at these airborne contaminants? Uh, One of the things we're using right now is just simple microscopy so we can count the individual spores. Another tool down the road that we'd be looking into is qPCR. qPCR for the radio audience. What is qPCR? It is quantitative polymer chain reaction. There you go which I believe you use to um, amplify and then count DNA or RNA sequences, right? Of viruses. Sure. Got it. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about where you intend to take this research once you have the device manufactured and once you've expanded its use past counting of spores. Ideally, this is... Well, so I said it's about the size of a coffee cup and Mm -hmm. that's really important because this thing is very portable. So we envision it to be you know, in somebody's home office, uh, bedroom, kitchen any environment where they might be feeling like they are having many asthma attacks or other health problems and they'd want to investigate further what's going on in there are other portable devices on the market, but also many other tools are just very large and aren't really suitable for home environments. Gotcha. And the specific fellowship that you're receiving, congratulations again, is there something that you can do now that you have access to the SLAS community that you couldn't do before? Definitely. I think when thinking about sizing up the production of this device. Currently, it's all the parts we're able to do in our lab, 3D printing and you know just simple nuts and bolts. But I think in terms of manufacturing, the SLAS community will definitely bring in new connections for wanting to manufacture 
these devices. Got it. Tell me real quick, Gary, what's the most exciting lab moment or professional accomplishment to date? I mean, obviously, I've seen your CV. You've done quite a lot already. But what's the most exciting thing you've done? So I'm currently working on planning next year's board and research seminar on the physics and chemistry of microfluidics. I'll be co-chairing that seminar next year. And being elected for that position has been super exciting and really rewarding. And I'm hoping that I do a good job and I bring up a really amazing seminar for all the students. But yeah, that's been probably the most exciting. That's cool. Where's that held? Next year will be in Italy. Oh, okay. I hope that travel plans clear up by that point. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. How did you come to choose a career here in science? I mean, what is it that motivates you? I mean, if you are suitably smart, you can do lots of things, be an engineer, go in finance, etc. Why science? So it's kind of crazy. I mean, my trajectory to going into chemistry was totally not linear. I started taking Gen Chem just as a freshman. And also, I, I should say that I started off my undergraduate career at Emory University. So I, for my undergraduate degree, went to three different institutions. Wow. I started off at Emory University as a freshman, um, and I wanted to study nutrition. I was really interested in just health in general. And so I was taking Gen Chem because I thought it'd be nice to know the science behind it. And it was so horrific for me. I did not <laughs> like it. It's actually the worst grade on my transcript. <laughs> well, I, I won't tell anybody besides the thousands of people listening. No worries. <laughs> yeah, my parents like to tease me about that one. Um, <laughs> so I took Gen Chem. And then after my first year at Emory, I came back home for the summer and realized that it didn't really financially make sense for me to continue my undergraduate career there. So I decided to transfer to a community college closer to home. And by the time I had made that decision, it was too late to apply to like University of Washington mm-hmm. for the rest of my undergraduate degree. So I spent a year at community college and I took organic chemistry there because I was determined to keep on this like healthy nutrition track. And I absolutely loved organic chemistry. Like mm-hmm. it was so fun to me. I love solving the problems. And that was the first class and time where I thought, okay, maybe like there's something here with chemistry. That's kind of interesting. So after my year at community college, I transferred to the University of Washington for my junior and senior year of my undergraduate degree. And I applied for the chemistry major, got accepted, but I still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do after. I was at this point now kind of thinking of pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. And I realized I hadn't had any research experience. I was interested in pharmacy, but not. I think I wasn't totally convinced, to be honest. And after talking to some people, they suggested, oh, why don't you try research, you know, just at least so then you know that if you do or don't like it. So I applied for a research position and this was the summer right before my senior year. So the clock was kind of ticking on in terms of like what I wanted to do, you know, figuring things out. What will you do for Um, your career? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I started research the June before my senior year started and by the end of that summer, I had decided to apply to grad school. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even thinking about grad school as an option for me. I don't know anybody personally, at least before you know, doing research, that had gotten their PhD. So my PI encouraged me and other students encouraged me to apply to grad school. And I did really realize that I did love it so much. Uh, I love the creative problem solving that really just makes me happy and feels fulfilling to me. So that was how I got into chemistry and and applying into grad school. 
Got it. And it looks based on your application that you'd like to be a professor. If so, in what and where? <laughs> that is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure that out. I think, you know, I'm in analytical chemistry right now for my PhD, but it's the engineering side of the stuff that I get to do that's really interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. in terms of like postdoc and then potential professorship, I, I think I would definitely like to explore more of the engineering side. In the current lab I'm in, there's, you know, we span from biologists to engineers. Mm-hmm. And I do love learning about the biology and having the health motivation behind all of my engineering. And in terms of where I'm really open to anything, I love to travel. So yeah, I think I'm just going to keep my eyes open for now. Got it. Understood. And so what tips do you have for younger generations of scientists coming down the pipeline in the fields of automation, screening, data science, and engineering? What do you recommend for them? Is there something they should be doing right now if they want to do the kind of stuff you're doing? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to fail like and just try anything. Most of the time, you know, I'll have all these crazy ideas in my head and my PI will just tell me like just try it. Like you never know. And that's been a really helpful tool for me just to remind myself that if you try it and it doesn't work, then at least you know it doesn't work and you can just move on. And you always learn something from each failure as kind of cliché that might sound. It's I think definitely true. Oh, sure. It's the the fail fast, fail cheap motif, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, we were so hesitant to try something and then we realized, oh, it's not going to really cost any money and it might only take 30 minutes of my time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, exactly. Got it. And who are you most excited to meet with and network with in the SLAS community? Is there a specific community of practice or, or journal or something like that you'd like to make inroads with now that you're closer to us? Yeah, I think I'm really interested in learning about more automation in the SLAS community. That's not something that I've had much exposure to so far in my graduate career. So I'd be really interested to see, you know, when a device gets made in a lab, how that gets taken and given to a broader audience through the manufacturing and automation. Gotcha. Any closing thoughts you want to offer to talk to our listeners? Ooh. Can be anything. I would say um, no matter if you're a graduate student already in your career, or even not a graduate student yet, I would say to make time for things outside of your research and work that you find really fulfilling, whether that be spending time with your family or investing time in hobbies outside of work. I find that when I invest time in those parts of my life, that it really helps feed my research and my creativity in my research. And so I'm definitely trying to do that more. And I think a lot more people could benefit from that as well. Got it. So indulge those hobbies and curiosities. Uh, Yuri, thank you very much. Congratulations. And we look forward to seeing you both at SLAS 2021 and in our journals and automation communities. Thanks, Mike.